Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer podcast. I'm so happy you're here and thanks so much for listening. I've had so many new uh, listeners over the last really couple weeks in all honesty and for the first time ever this uh, podcast has charted. So I didn't even know what that meant until I got an email saying uh, your podcast has charted. So we have been uh, in the last couple weeks in the top 200 podcasts in careers um, on Apple. So thank you all so much for listening and I, I love to I really do love to hear from you and love to hear what you're liking, what you'd like more of. So please feel free to reach out to me. You can email me, hello at theovernighttrainer.com. You can DM me, tell me what you are liking, what you want to hear more of, uh, because I'm here to make this for for you. So thanks for hanging around. I love this. You know, this turned out to be a, started as a, I guess, a passion project, as we should call it. But it really is something I look forward to each and every week. And it's such a wonderful way to be able to quote unquote meet all of you and to hang out in your in your earbuds. So thank you for, for investing your time in, into today's episode and to the other episodes as well. And so before we kick off into today's amazing episode with a guest, I know I've done a lot of solo episodes lately. So I am definitely gonna introduce you to someone who you all know and love. And if you don't, you will learn to know and love him as well. But before we kick off, I wanted to say it is actually my birthday week. So if you are listening to this in real time, uh, when it comes out on January 18th, my birthday is tomorrow, uh, the 19th. And I'm not just saying that so I can get all of your happy birthday wishes. I'm saying that because I am giving a birthday gift (laughs) away uh, to all of you. I want to celebrate my birthday uh, with all of you. And so between now and January 19th, so this is a very short window (laughs) that I'm offering this. So hopefully you're listening to it when it goes live. But my birthday is on the 19th of January uh, and at midnight, if you sign up for the Overnight Trainer Group Coaching Program uh, before midnight on the 19th, you will get free access to all of my trainings for the rest of the year. And so you might be wondering, what are these free trainings, Sarah? What are you offering? And so here are just a, a handful of the uh, free of the trainings that I'm going to offer. And all of these will be paid offers. So they won't be free to, to everyone else. But if you do sign up for the Overnight Trainer Group Coaching Program, all of these will be free to you. So I'm doing a a live training on using LinkedIn to advance your L&D job search. I'm doing a live training on L&D leadership competencies needed to grow your L&D career. I'm doing a live boot camp workshop series, uh, a three-day boot camp on business building in the L&D space. So if you're looking to grow a side hustle or grow a business, uh, do some freelancing. And then I'm doing a three-day new to L&D bootcamp workshop series and a building confidence in your L&D career workshop series. So all of that is valued at around $2,000. So you will get access to all of those and anything else, any other free training, any other training uh, that I do, any paid trainings that I do uh, the rest of the year as well. So any of these kind of small offer trainings that I'll be doing one-off, from my larger programs, you will have access to if you sign up for the Overnight Trainer Group Coaching Program by midnight on January 19th. So don't forget if that program is for you, if you're looking to find a new role inside of L&D, transition into L&D for the first time, you get access to modules to help you through all steps of that process weekly live coaching calls with me, as well as our incredible LinkedIn group. And already we have people who are at their final interviews, who are waiting for offers at this point. I mean, we're only a couple weeks into it. So you really can have a career in learning and development that you love, that pays you your worth, 
that values you and you can have it quickly. But you gotta come join us inside the group coaching program. So DM me with any questions that you have. Uh, you can uh, find out more information if you go to theovernighttrainer.com slash work dash with dash me. Uh, and all the information for the program is there. All right, so on to today's episode. I am, I was fangirling so hard, y'all. Like, I have Dr. Lou Copson on the podcast today. So I know you're all excited and I'm excited too. And if you don't know about Dr. Luke, he is a senior instructional designer and program manager at MIT. Uh, he's also an online instructor for Southern New Hampshire University. And he's the founder of the Instructional Design Institute. Now, if that didn't impress y'all enough, Luke literally wrote the book on instructional design. So his book is called What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer. His entire life, his world is inside the online learning space, and he loves sharing his experiences with others to help them learn about instructional design, which is exactly what he's here to do today. Dr. Luke Hobson, welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you. And, you know, I've been a longtime fan of yours, which I was telling you before we started recording. But one of the reasons, the million zillion reasons why I'm so excited to have you on the show is because you have a very, not only impressive, but unique journey to where you are right now. So I read your book. I was so captivated by your story and kind of where you started and how you got to you know what your role is today, which is in addition to being an author, a podcast host, an educator, right? You're a senior instructional designer at MIT. So a lot of really cool things under your belt. So for those crazy people who haven't read your book yet, tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are today. Absolutely. Thank you for saying all those kind words. So my journey is very strange, as you know, from writing the book is that for a lot of people who get into the instructional design field, it comes from a place of loving about learning, education, school, and I am the opposite. I failed out of high school because I just absolutely hated school growing up. I was constantly talking to teachers and trying to figure out where is the real world connection? Like, how am I actually going to use this and help me find a job once I'm done with school? And of course, by asking those questions, and I'm sure that if I was to go back in time and see myself asking the questions, probably didn't say it in the most polite way. <laughs> so naturally, they were very defensive, didn't really like it. And eventually, I just stopped caring about school altogether. So I failed out of high school. I went back to summer school three times to finally get enough credits <laughs> to be able to go and transfer to a different school. So that was always super fun. I went to uh, college, got my first degree in graphic design, second in marketing. And then from there, I realized that Southern New Hampshire University, which is conveniently like 45 minutes away from me, but at the time, they were just starting to become this massive online learning powerhouse in higher education. An opportunity popped up to be an online academic advisor. Applied, I got the job, and essentially it was my job to coach and support online students going through all of these courses, which I thought was just so interesting. So I'm calling, I'm emailing them, trying to help them out with everything. And while I was doing that, though, I was thinking, I was just like, who's the person actually building these? And I started to network while I was there. And one of the group of people who I started to network with were instructional designers. And I figured out that their full-time job was designing the online learning experience. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. I'm like, how do I become an instructional designer? And that wasn't in my fate yet. I kept on trying and trying and I was getting nowhere. I finally was able to use my graphic design background and pair that up with the customer support background. And I became a creative resources manager so I was designing like private online courses for the writing center and the peer tutoring center. So I was like, I'm starting to get there, kept on applying for instructional design jobs, kept on getting denied constantly. So finally I left New Hampshire and I went more towards Boston where a role at Northeastern university popped up for instructional design. I was able to apply for that. And that's when I finally got the real title of instructional designer. And it was super cool because my first job was being able to work with Northeastern and General Electric and be able to create an accelerated degree program for their employees. So very much wow. was like a baptized by fire approach where they're like, <laughs> here you go. Like go to the plants, interview everybody, figure out like needs analysis and what you need to do next. And I'm like, okay, don't know what I'm doing. Sure. But, uh, I'm going to learn very quickly. So I got a good uh, uh, boot camp experience very, very quickly. And uh, from there, eventually took those services over to MIT and I'm still there. 
That's incredible. And, you know, it's so interesting because so many people have a similar story of not even knowing that instructional design or even learning and development, if we want to put it into a bigger, broader category exists. You know, my, my story is similar. I had no idea this could be a, this was someone's job, you know, to be in learning and development, to be a facilitator, all of those things. So nowadays it's much more common, right? A lot of people know about these roles, this type of industry that we're in versus, you know, when we were getting into it. So I, but I do want to start off with a question that may seem very simple. And I asked this because a couple of nights ago, I was facilitating a workshop and you know, I do a lot of work with people on how to, from a job search perspective, how to get into learning and development. And someone was very vulnerable and asked the question. They said, can you tell me what learning and development is? And mm -hmm. I realized that I think a lot of people are being probably more told about learning and development. Say, hey, go be an instructional designer, be in learning and development without really even knowing what it is. So I actually have a whole podcast episode coming out on what is learning and development, but, and I've heard, especially from instructional designers, lots of different answers. So I would love your expert opinion. You are the expert in my mind. How would you define instructional design? So I also probably have my own way of talking about it too, much like everyone else. But to me, instructional design is actually both an art and a science, which for, and I'll explain that in a bit, because some people are kind of like, no, it's like one or the other, which is kind of interesting. But really like the basis of instructional design is just knowing how people learn. We are the learning experts. We need to know about learning science. But then from there, we don't do everything by ourselves. We actually partner with a subject matter expert, or as we call them in the field, SMEs. By working with these people, we're able to take what this person knows, extract the knowledge out of their heads, take what we know about how learning essentially works, and then to put it together into a type of a meaningful and a memorable online learning experience. And that whole point with everything too comes from the fact that what we design and develop has to be able to show transparency and clarity to our learners. And therefore, everything that we do has to be able to link and align to course outcomes, to competencies and the skills. So people actually know why am I going through this training or this course or this workshop or this program? What exactly am I doing? What am I going to be able to do at the end of the day? So that to me is instructional design. But going back to my first point, I do think very much there is a art and a science to it because of course we've all taken just absolutely awful courses before where you're like, oh, it's not designed well. I'm getting lectured for five hours, not doing anything. Like clearly that's, you don't want to do it that way. But I will say though, that there really isn't a type of like an amazing, perfect way to do instructional design. Everyone comes with their different types of unique backgrounds and skill sets that really do uh, influence how everything is designed. So from a creative perspective, that's why I kind of think that instructional design is also like a form of art. Because if I were to design something and you were to design something, while they both may be awesome at the end of the day, I bet they're going to be different. You may do different things as far as what were the practice questions. I may do different things as far as we're using like a simulation or something different, but we still come to the main goals at the end of the day. So in a very long rambling, that to me is instructional design. <laughs> no, I love it. And I, I think there is that beauty of the art and the science of it too. And, and something that you said that really stood out to me is there's really no one right way to do it, right? We all bring these different unique experiences with us. And that's something I talk a lot about as learning and development as a whole, there's no one right model or right way or right philosophy or right theory because it depends on you, your unique skill sets, your organization, what their needs are, what's the what's the actual goals of this, right? And that's the beauty of this industry is that it's a an amalgamation of all these transferable skills that we all bring from different backgrounds and places that say, hey, here's how we create a really great learning experience for the learner. Right. As long as we keep them in the, in the forefront and that it, we're doing it around them and not around ourselves, right? which can be a, a whole nother thing to tell, probably a whole nother episode we could talk about. You know, I think that's where that beauty of that art and the science gets to come in because it gives you that creative freedom. So I really love the, the viewpoint of it being an art and a science, but so much flexibility. Like it's a, a freedom within some sort of framework, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And I made a video about this on YouTube of saying, is instructional design a form of arts? 
And I think most of the responses from people were like, yes, this is so cool. I love how it's so flexible. This is why I wanted to go into this field in the first place. But there's a lot of people too, where they're like, you're insane. What are you talking about? I can't just do things in blah, blah, blah kind of manner. And I was like, yeah, it's not really what I mean. It wasn't to be like an egotistical post. It was more of just like, but like if you were to essentially, if we both had the same everything around, but we could take it even just like the way of like actually talking about it from art is that if we were both given all of the tools that we needed to do as far as for having the paint, the paint brushes and the canvas, but we were both instructed to be able to say like, I want you to paint me this amazing like winter wonderland scene. I could paint something completely different compared to you, but whatever we're going to make will probably both still be this type of like of a snowy scene. And that's something that is just so hard to explain to somebody who has never been in the field before where they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, how does, how does that actually work? And it's like, yeah, there really is this creative element to it where what you do and what you say, those ideas, they live in the course. Like that is exactly what people are going to be going into. And there is nothing I can tell you as far as for like reading a certain textbook or something is going to say like, this is how it's done every single time. Cause that's just not true. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the, the art side of it. And I, I love that. And it's so, it's almost like two, and you know, and they tell people like two people could eat the identical diet and, you know, and work out the exact same way, but they're going to look different. It's the same way here. You can be given all the same tools, but because of how unique you are and your experiences, it's going to turn out different, but it, different doesn't mean wrong. Right. And I think exactly. a lot of people struggle with that you know, when they're in that silo of like one way, this way is the best way, you know, you're leaving out so many other things. And just because it's different doesn't mean that it's, it's wrong. You're both hitting the same goal and you might've taken different ways to get there, but the end result is still, still the same. And if it's benefiting the learner, then who cares? Exactly. Right? Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So you're, you primarily focus in instructional design in higher education. So that's where, where you've been. Uh, but I know you work with a lot of people who are instructional designers, who are up and coming kind of in the corporate setting too. So where do you see the biggest similarities and differences in the instructional design field when it comes to doing ID in higher education versus a corporate setting? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, which everyone asks too. That's like, that's definitely one of those things where they're like, I'm trying, which is good, by the way. Yeah. It's a great question. Like, please, the first thing you do, if you should be thinking about instructional design, try to figure out what path you want to take because yep. they are definitely different. There are many similarities, don't get me wrong, but they are different. And I kind of have like a unique perspective to this too, because I'm in a way like a weird hybrid of the two, because I keep on doing this uh, coming from a higher education stance, but I am creating professional development courses and programs for adults within the field. So I kind of see like both sides of the house, yeah. which is, which is kind of cool. But what I'll say from this is that you need to be able to determine where you're going to be able to find the meaning in your work. And that is going to be the biggest influence you can find as far as for like a direction of like, where should I go? Because if you are thinking more about how you find enjoyment and satisfaction within this, uh, the academia type of world of literally working with students, professors, thinking about degrees and all those types of, because it is definitely a learning journey within that type of higher education world, then that's one area you can go to. But if that's not for you and you're thinking more about like, well, no, I want to be able to go and talk with these employees and see in real time how they're using the skills and how they're changing the organization for the better and how they're growing from this compared to that, well, then corporate it makes a lot more sense. So the being able to find the meaning in your work is always exactly like where I want people to go to before they get into the nitty gritty, because then by all means, this could be literally a two hour podcast episode of whatever yeah, difference totally. it's, it's so easy to say like, okay, well, let's talk about salary because salary for higher ed is smaller compared to going for, for corporate. But are hours going to be different? Are the benefits going to be different? And it's just like, yeah. well, of course there are. But something that came up to me um, recently, I was talking with a student the other day, and we were talking about the differences of higher ed versus corporate that I found was very um, interesting to think about was how from the stance of in the higher education world, the question that came up was when I talk about instructional design, why do I say that I understand how people learn online? Because I use that word of mm -hmm. online specifically, and that's in the book itself too. And she's like, well, well why? you know, online, I like to me, it, it's everything like, you know, learning in general, I'm like, yes. And I think about that, but in higher ed, something that I constantly faced for a challenge was that there were other people there who have been teaching for longer than I've been alive. 
And now I need to go and work with them and convince them that I am the expert. And I was trying to find like, what can be my shtick? What can be my thing to make me feel unique and, and try to be able to go and talk about self-confidence and everything. And it was just like, wait a minute. I was just like, all I do is online learning. Like that's my world is being online. I've taken online courses. I've coached online students. I now build online courses. Like that's my angle. So when I was talking with those types of people who are been teaching for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, they're like, Oh yeah, I tried making a course online. It did not go well. And I'm yeah. like, yes, that's where I come in. I can help you. Together we can make something awesome that they will say it's just as amazing compared to the face-to-face courses. This amazing new, uh, super cool online version. So that kind of became my thing. But then from the corporate stance, I've heard from some friends that they have never ever encountered that. But they're like, no, like I'm usually seen as the learning expert because I'm on the L&D team. So they think of me as like, well, you know best, you're on L&D. But because of that, they unfortunately get have this like, uh, this is aura is that they're almost just like, well, you're the uh, order taker. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would like you to give me a 20 minute e-learning module on blah, 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 to show that people have completed this training. And, and I was thinking about that. I'm like, I have never encountered that in higher ed. <laughs> like that would be just almost I, it just a unforgivable type of thing. Cause of course no professor is going to say, <laughs> give me a 20 minute training. Like no one will ever say that in higher ed. So those are just some differences that actually just came up last week where I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of interesting to think about of just from that stance. So once again, meaning in your work, but it kind of ties in together. Oh, for sure. I mean, I spent all my, my L and D career in, in the corporate world and Definitely, depending on the organization, right? Because of I think course. there's, oh, I think there are some organizations that have a strong learning culture, and the pros and cons of that are that you know they'll lean on the, the L and D team a lot. But I think if you have a strong enough leader who's able to to push back and be a be a consultant instead of an order taker, I think you see a beautiful relationship unfold there. I've also worked in organizations that don't have a strong learning culture. Learning is punishment, and someone messed something up somewhere, the whole company needs to take a training on it. You know, someone missed a, you know, a check mark on a list. We all need to have a training on how to put check marks on a list. So yeah, there's definitely in that corporate world, kind of the, the two sides to that coin and, and both sides of that spectrum too. So there's so many similarities from a, I think from a craft perspective and, but then from the actual like cultural perspective too, it's where you see, see a lot of differences in there, in there as well. So I want to talk about your kind of it's a good segue into like your learning philosophy. So I'm not going to butch the the Latin of it, but you had on your <laughs> sure. website, yeah. I was thinking like, maybe I'll try. I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, on your website, you talk about your learning philosophy. It's from MIT and it translates into mind and hand. So can you talk to us about your learning philosophy, kind of where that came from and what that looks like as you, you know, kind of continue on in your career? Absolutely. So it's men's at menace is what the Latin is for that one. And it was something that I have always done, but then from, you know, working at MIT and seeing this seal everywhere, because it essentially is like the school's like motto, if you will. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, that really makes sense. Where back in the day, the founders of everything. And I think it was like in like 1864 is when this first came about is that they were talking about how they want to be able to have this type of a focus on practical, uh, practical applications of skills. I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So instead of having the mindset of like, let's just constantly talk about theory and lectures and whatnot, like I want you to have hands-on practical skills. And this is like, totally, that is something that I believe in. And the way that I started to craft everything for my courses and I go and I make the type of like of a almost like a learning pathway so students can understand like how they're actually learning like a pedagogical model if you will mm-hmm. and for that 75% of the time students are doing something and then 25% is more of like the content of the readings and the videos that most people probably think about for online learning but like I said, for at least 75% of the time, you are doing something. So whether it's practice questions or applications or reflections or summative assessments or going through a simulation describing your journey or going through a scenario-based learning assignment or project-based or team-based or a case study, you are doing something. Like, I don't want you to be bored. I want it to be relevant and engaging and meaningful in the online space. And that model really stuck out with me where I was like, yeah, you're, you're right. Let's do something together. And of course, we'll, we'll talk about the importance of theory and whatnot, but let's, let's make this a lot more kind of like umph to everything because it is online. 
it has to be, it has to be better. It has to be more. And that's what I followed and what I still do today. I love that. Where do you think most instructional designers go wrong when it comes to this practical application? I see, I see a big push and I think a, a bit, I think our industry has made a lot of steps forward. And I think COVID and being in a pandemic has accelerated. I think what was already going to, to happen into that more modern learning space, but where do you think most people go wrong when creating the creating learning programs that aren't as hands-on? So when I said before about how describing instructional design, I talk about forming an equal partnership with a subject matter expert. It's that that does not get established at the beginning of the project. And there is a lot of times, unfortunately, that is this um, unforeseen circumstances where somebody will come in as a bulldozer and they're like, this is exactly how my face-to-face -face is. Therefore, we must do everything the same. And unfortunately for the person, whether it is an ID or TA, you know, whoever it is, it could be mm -hmm. anybody. When, when, when things went crazy with the pandemic and that emergency remote learning stepped in, it was just kind of a, a nutty time. And unfortunately, what people try to do is take something that was one delivery method, and then they just did it in the exact same way in another method, and that does not work. I cannot sit and watch something for an hour on my laptop and be engaged. It does not work. And that's what people are trying to do. So when thinking about, well, then where, where is the learning lesson here? What could have been done? It was actually to be able to learn about how to influence. You need to know about how to influence without power, which is something that is very different because the power dynamics in higher ed corp, it doesn't matter where it is. You're always going to have somebody who is the top dog. And then you are working with that person and you need to be able to try to convince them about how you have all these other different awesome ideas that can work very well with their ideas, but they're in a bit of a different way. So it was that entire piece of not potentially depend a million different situations. There's a lot of, it depends clause I'm going to say around here, but it could very well be that of just not being prepared for dealing with all of these things. And of course, on top of that, the world was nuts. Everyone was this, you oh, know, yeah. anxious, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it just, no one wanted to listen to try to be able to learn from it. But now in 2022, where things are looking better, still not perfect, but they're getting better. We need to be able to think about that. That if you go back and you try to revise those, like, you know, what could I have learned from this? What would I do differently the next time around? Well, it would be to actually know when to speak up, how to practice active listening skills, know when it's appropriate to be able to demo a product or a new idea and to really showcase the value that you can bring to the table and not just say that I'm here to be the magical person who is your order taker. Yes, please give me your 700 PowerPoint slides. But no, like I'm here for a reason. My job does exist to help you, but you need to let me do it or else it's not going to go so well. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the, the skills that I focus a lot on in my coaching for people who once they get into L&D and need some more support is consulting. I think a lot of people don't realize I was, it's funny. I was, the person I was just interviewing before I told you I had some podcast interviews today. We were talking about that. No matter what your position is inside of learning and development, no, like literally doesn't matter. There's tens of thousands of positions you can have. You have to, in some way, shape or form, be a consult, be an internal consultant and to be able to, to have that, have that thought process, be able to communicate appropriately, to do the analysis, to say, Hey, this is actually based on this, this, and this, this is going to be the best solution forward. And here's why. Right. So I think it sounds like too, that you're talking about that, that, that all those pieces of being able to speak up and not just being that order taker comes from also developing some of those internal consulting skills that I don't think a lot of us know that we need to develop that until we've been bulldozed 10, 15, 20 times, we're like, okay, how do I stop this? Right. <laughs> and someone on LinkedIn the other day, and I forget your name, so deeply apologize, not remember to say my life, but someone on LinkedIn the other day was talking about how is instructional design sales? And I thought that was so fascinating because I was just like, there are elements of my job where I am selling an idea. Mm -hmm. like, that, is, that is what we're doing. Like, no, I don't consider myself like a sales rep, but if I want to be able to influence or negotiate, persuade, convince, whatever you want to say to working with someone, then yeah, I have to sell an idea and I have to know what is going to make that person buy the idea. And there have been some that like, I've just completely bombed on. Like I missed the boat. I thought this person was like one personality. Instead, they, 
they were not, <laughs> they were something different where I was like, oh, I totally missed that mark. But for other people, like I learned from those mistakes and thinking about how um, one person in particular was that I needed to sell him with data. That was his thing. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was just like, oh my gosh. So then it became, okay, let me collect the testimonies. Let me get the surveys. I'll do some focus groups. I'll bring in all this data and then I'll give it to you as far as we're saying what we need to do better next time. And that's what worked. He was like, ah, got it. Like I heard from the learners themselves. You put it to me in a way, but I could visually read it and see it. And then like, now I believe you, like you've, you have backed up, you've defended your reasoning for why you wanted to do something in the first place. Unfortunately, it took like six months to do that. So it didn't really, <laughs> didn't really go so great. But you know, when we finally revised the program, I was like, oh, here we go. Like now, now we're on track. So being able to know about those skills and know about how to, you know, as you were saying, to consult in that manner of, of using the right expertise at the right time to solve the right problem. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I love the, I love the thought of is, L and D and ID is it sales. And it's funny, you just reminded me of years and years and years ago, I was interviewing for a director of training or L and D position. And I remember I was interviewing, I think I was interviewing one of the per people interviewing me was the head of sales. And we were talking and he's like, are you sure you're not like, you don't want to be a salesperson. And I come from sales background. So I, 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 I have been there, done that. And I said to him, I said, well, L and D is sales. I'm like I have to sell you as a learner, like you have to believe me. You like, I, I have to stand up there and I have to sell myself to you. I have to sell my content to you. I have to make you want to be here and consume it and to apply it and to be engaged with it. So I, I don't know who said that either, but props to them because I, I do, I believe that there's a big component of it where, and I don't want people to think you have to have sales experience to do that. No, right? no, it's no, just no. a yeah. skill that you, you can build, but to your point, just like with any of your learners, right? And there's going to be different things that work for different people and different things engage different people. Same thing from a sales tactic, right? That, you know, that one person, okay, for them, I have to go with the data for this person. I have to go with the emotion, right? So it's, it's you, you start to learn, especially as you get inside of the organization or inside whatever institution that you're in and you start to learn the people you're working with, right? It's a lot of trial and error. So I don't want people to think that they have to like have all these sales skills because sales in and of itself is trial and error. Like you were saying, what worked, what didn't work? Okay, next time I have to work with this stakeholder, I know I'm gonna you know, do this a little bit differently or I'm gonna try this instead of that. So I really love that that approach to it. And thank you to whoever you are, random person on LinkedIn for- <laughs> I know, I wish I could remember your name. This is totally escaping me, if but we, I saw that. If we find it, we'll put it into the show notes. <laughs> for sure, I'll just send a screenshot over. But it was, yeah, I was thinking about that more and more. And I was like, man, that's so interesting to think about it because even with- trying to be able to network with people, well, then you're going to be able to use those connections to sell the idea because this other person is friends with this other person. And now it's like, oh, I'm getting their buy-in because now they agree with me. So this other person will agree with my idea or even public speaking. Something I always mm -hmm. keep on telling people about is this like practice public speaking, like where it's, it's not going away. And even in this oh. it, zoom world that we are currently doing right now, like it's still speaking. You're still listening to us talk. Like, yes, it might be on a virtual platform, but like, even if you're going to be talking to your entire university or your departments or your organization or who, whatever it is, like people need to believe you as far as for your confidence and that you know what you're talking about, which yeah. is still selling something, but it's not like that salesy kind of thing right. that you might be thinking about. Yeah. So, you're sell yeah. selling them on your, on yourself and that exactly. selling people that you're, you're the expert as well. I mean, that's something you pointed out earlier too, of being the expert, right. In, in instructional design, the expert in how people learn best. And, and a lot of that has to do with, with sales. And so I want to pivot because you have a huge passion for helping others in the instructional design field. And you wrote an amazing book that everyone go buy on Amazon right now, uh, <laughs> called what I wish I knew before becoming an instructional designer. So what led you to write this book and what do you hope it accomplishes? So the book's already accomplished far more than I thought. So yeah. that's, that's, that's been super. And it's been crazy because I really, really did believe that I was going to sell three copies to my mom, to my dad, to my wife. That was it. Other than that, maybe me, maybe I'd buy a book yeah. out of pity, make it four, you know, it's just like, that's how I thought was actually going to That's happen. where those four or five star reviews came from. Exactly. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All those names are a lie. It's just me. This is trying to change the it whole up. Hobson family. It's it. We're going down the line. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> so it's just so funny that it's now really started to blow up, which has just been so amazing and incredible to see. 
But the idea from it came from my first ever YouTube video that I made, and it was called exactly that, What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer. I was giving speeches to different universities and organizations in this Zoom world where I was essentially just doing this. I was talking about it because now a lot of people are aware about the field where before they had no idea. And it's been so fascinating talking to those who are going for a master's or a PhD in instructional design, where just a couple of years ago, people would have laughed at that and been like, right. no, that's not a real job. Like, what, what are you doing? Kind of thing. So I started to talk to these people about just all those things that just like, man, if I can go back in time, what would it, what would it be? What would I say to a younger version of myself? And after one of those talks, I recorded it and I put it on YouTube and was like, well, let's see what happens. And I've gained like 10,000 views. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm onto something here. So from there, I kept on thinking about it in the back of my mind. And I kept on just talking to more and more and more people doing types of like online coaching calls and presentations and whatnot. And I kept on hearing all these different questions. And I was just kind of like making a mental note and writing them down. And a lot of them started to overlap. And eventually I was like, okay, what if I made a book of answering all of the most common questions I've ever heard? And that's exactly how I wrote it, where I made the tables of contents and you're going to see it. And this is all questions because it's what it is. Like, like here's yeah. every top common question I have received over the last couple of years. Here are the answers. If I could just go and give you an answer for every single one, this is exactly what it would look like. And I just put my head together. Uh, it took about took about six months or so. And I was able to just write the book down, which I know sounds like a very fast accelerated pace. But this is all I do is talk about instructional design every minute of a day. So I was like, ah, I could I could keep on doing this. And uh, I had to tell myself like when to stop. That was my issue. I was wow. like, I could man, I could make like a 50 chapter book. And I think about it, it's just like, started like 220 pages. No yeah. one's gonna read a <laughs> 500 page book on instructional design. I was like, yeah, I need to, I should probably stop. But I mean, after that, and, and to your, your point about the accomplishments, I mean, the fact that it's already the, the 500th order went out the door this morning. Congratulations. Is, thank you. It's just absurd where I'm like, oh my gosh, how? It's just so funny that writing a learning nerd book has been able to help out so many different people. And that was a point was that so many people are going into this of just not knowing and having answers. And of course, now there's so much information out there. It's very, very confusing. So it was like, well, if I could just put it for you together of everything I wish I knew about and just give it to you in one format, you know, what would it be? I'm like, oh, it has to be a book. Kind of makes sense. So that's how it became a thing. That's incredible. And I agree with you. I think there's so much information out there. And so there's a, a blessing and a curse to that, right? Of the, that we live in this kind of society where information is limitless, but we also live in this society where information is limitless. Yes. And <laughs> you know, how do you how do you filter, filter through all of that too? I was talking to someone about that earlier, where it's, you know having that kind of a, a lot of it starts with having that inner knowing and that inner trust in yourself and then utilizing this information as more of a gut check and a you know a, and as feedback versus the you know the the only way the way forward and the and the gospel too. So I love that you know you really took the approach of hey here's me here's my story here's what I wish I would would have known based on all the questions that you're asking too. It sounds like you don't know the answer either. So let me help you know help kind of create a shortcut almost too right. for people, right? Of not having to go through the pain of getting into the field and realizing it's not for them. And I work, I would say, I just I was talking to people last night about this. I've worked this year with about a little over 50 people looking to get into learning and development. Mm -hmm. And about half of them, when we start working together say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to be an instructional designer. I'm trying to get an instructional design. And as we actually peel back the layers of the onion, figure out what really interests them, what skills they have, what they, what's their why, what's the meaning, what do they really want to do? I've only had two people that have actually ended up after that point, still wanting to be instructional designers oh, because- wow there it's not nothing against instructional design they just realize oh i was just told i should be an instructional designer uh, someone sure. someone else that was someone else's path and so i thought i thought that's what i had to do so that kind of leads me to my next question of you of there's a huge wave right now of a lot of teachers so people in higher ed and then also you know, a lot of k through 12 educators looking to transition into lnd and very specifically a lot of people talking about transitioning into instructional design mm -hmm. From the, from the classroom. So what are your overall kind of, what are your thoughts on that? And then more specifically, you know, what skills do teachers already come with to do the job? And what do you feel they need to develop more of generally speaking? Sure. So it, it makes plenty of sense to me. I mean, the, the fact that the, I'm absolutely afraid for our country, let me start by that, by saying that all these amazing teachers are leaving mm -hmm. at a rapid rate. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where, where what are our school systems going to look like? 
So putting that aside, it does yeah, make a lot agreed. of sense. It makes a lot of sense though, because you do come with the fundamentals of potentially what you've already done from schooling or from just on the job where a lot of people think about instructional design as with like lesson plans and designing curricula, which is a part of the job. Don't get me wrong. So it's something that you can be able to go into build on from there. The misconception though, that somebody is already prepared and equipped to go from one job to another without any form of training, coaching, schooling, or whatever though, like that's where things kind of get bananas. Cause it's like, you don't want me going in front of a class if I have no teaching experience. So it's like, so the same thing, like in order for you to properly know how to design something and to work with others, well, you need to, a bit of training and coaching as well to make sure that you're putting these things together. And like you, I have also talked to a lot of teachers out there. And from what I've had from these kinds of conversations, what I'm actually finding for the most of them is that they know about something, but they're not able to talk shop. So like if you and I right now, we're like in a coffee shop and like when we're just talking and let's say that we're having a discussion about like, what's the best instructional design model? Maybe we're going to throw out like backward design, Addy, Agile, Sam, you know, like anything like that. And for somebody who is not in the instructional design world, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, we use a lot of acronyms. We have a lot of our own little like weird types of sayings. But then when you ask somebody to go and say like, well, describe for me your process of how you would make a course. And then they would say something of like, oh, well, first I start with the goals. I'm like, all right, great. Like then, then what do you do? I'm like, well, then I think about like the final. I'm like, okay. I'm like, and then what? I was like, well, then after that comes like my lecture material with what I'm going to have them do for readings and videos and discussions. But like, that's kind of how I do it. And I was like, sweet. You basically just describe backward design. Like yeah. that was it, but you don't know it. <laughs> But you do. So it's becoming more comfortable with a lot of the terminology and diving in and building upon what you already know about. Because if I say UDL and you're like, I don't know, but then I'm like, well, universal design for learning. And they're like, oh my gosh, I know what that is. And I was like, I know you do. Like you have these building blocks and the foundations. Like we just got to kind of get it over there to that next hump, to that next level. And from those skills, it's something that teachers, they do use, but it's not as like a normal way of talking about it is to really think about like preparing for job interviews, you know, a certain types of questions are going to come up. And the biggest thing that will always come up no matter what is going to be working with others. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time you worked with a difficult SME, a difficult professor, whoever, and how did you get around this? So preparing for that ahead of time, well, then like, let's, let's break that down here. Well, what do we need to focus on? I want you to focus on the human skills, the elements of relationship management of being able to influence and to be able to get the job done when you need to figure out and go back to your toolkit of like, what's the appropriate thing I need to be able to say in order to try to find a resolution. And for a lot of people, they have done something where they, they have absolutely done something where they're like, oh my gosh, during the uh, pandemic, during remote learning, I was a person who was the pioneer who championed mm -hmm. why we should be doing online learning and how we could do things differently. And perhaps I introduced the new high flex model into my school system or something like that. It's like, well, then perfect. Then talk about being able to overcome that with somebody who was absolutely putting it down and they hated the idea, or maybe it was just superintendent or another teacher or like whoever it was, but take those examples and write them down and be able to describe them in detail because they're going to come up in the interview. Human skills will always come up. And I say human skills, which other people call soft skills to me, they're human skills because they are. So that's what I actually said. And if you actually even Google human skills, there's an awesome uh, matrix that comes up about like all the different types of ways that people are using this now that was research out of MIT. And it's something that you can just use to be able to think more about that in the future, because those are not going away. Human skills can't be replaced no matter what it is. You can always teach someone a new type of skill for doing design, but being able to solve problems using emotional intelligence and critical thinking, decision-making problem solving, like that's unique to you. And you need to be able to capitalize on that. Absolutely. And, you know, I always, I've been using this analogy a lot lately of like L and D and ID there. It's like the universe, right? It's constantly expanding. And so next year, next week, tomorrow, there could be a new model that comes out that is exciting, right? So all of those things, we're all having to constantly learn because those things come out every single day. There's something new to learn, but what doesn't change is problem solving, you know, collaborating with others, working with difficult people, being influential, right? Those, those human skills don't change. Those things will continue to grow, grow with us, right? So, you know, focusing on that, I think is really great advice to give. Of course, there's that technical side of things to know as well, but, you know, the technical changes and shifts and what's in and what's out and all, and all of that really 
you know, it kind of depends on what's happening and, and the research. And I love your little, I love your little MIT plug there. You're like, and that research out of MIT. <laughs> I mean, see, see, that's the beauty of working there is that like, I, I get to, so the person who wrote this model was sitting across from me and I, I he, he, put, he put a poster on his wall and I saw that and I was like, human skills. And he's like, yeah, this is what I'm calling soft skills in the future. AI can't replace us. We're human. And I was like, <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> like human skills makes so much sense. They already hated how we call it soft skills. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like it's not a, yeah, I agree. it's not a soft ability, you know. So it's just like, yeah, it makes it so. Anyway, so yeah, I, I plug my institution because whatever, I love I, it. I, I got to be there, but but that was so cool. And to your point too, the other thing that I want to address that some teachers have asked me about that becomes kind of like that uh, the the paralysis by analysis kind of thing is like, don't be afraid of tools, like people for authoring tools where they're like, they see that and they're like, oh my gosh, nope, done. And it's just like, wait, it's like, it's okay. It's just a tool. You can learn a tool. Like, it's okay. Like you don't, don't, don't be afraid about it. And to your point, like for, for real time too, like right now we're all learning about the metaverse. Like that's going to happen. That that's going to yeah. be a new thing. And that's going to completely change. So we all work remotly. It went thousand percent will. And I guarantee that everyone else right now who you're talking to within either the L&D world, the ID or whoever, like we're all talking about the metaverse and trying to learn about it. Cause it's like, wait, how do I build learning around this? Like, what are we going to actually be in for So we're all teaching ourselves in real time. Like that is what we can all do, but no one can replace you for being the problem solver or the organizer, the help, like whatever things of that nature. So it's to your point, you know, technical things will constantly come and go, but you know, those other human skills, we can't, can't replace us. Yeah. I love that advice too, of not being afraid of the tools. Like they're just tools. Right. And the beauty is as technology has evolved, the tools have gotten much easier than oh, 10, yes. 15 years ago. Right. Like, so that, that's also the beauty of it too. It's funny. I had someone who was in, in one of my programs message me last night. Do I need to know storyline? And I was like, well, I can't answer that because I don't know what type of role you're going to end up looking for. So the, the answer could be yes. The answer could be no. But if the answer is yes, you're going to be okay. You're, right. you're going to be okay. like, it's, there are an infinite number of courses you can take of challenges you can do. Like you, you got this. If you need it, you might not, but if you do, right. you know, it, it's just, it's just a tool. So for everyone listening, who's, who are feeling overwhelmed by the tools, remember they're just tools. They're just tools. They're just, and, and I've had people too, who have gotten hired and then the um, person uh, was able to train them a job to learn about it because they had everything else. They're like, Oh, you can learn a tool. <laughs> like, but I, I can't teach you about learning science. And they're like, cool. I already got that. Like, let me go and then take this course on rise. I'll figure it out. And you're like, okay, great. Like, it's just a tool. You, you, yeah. That's not the backbone of what it is that we do. It's just a delivery method. There's so much more behind the scenes. It's so much more valuable. So yeah. Totally. I would say too, like the right company and the right hiring manager, if, if it's just the tool that you don't have, that's great for them. Like, to, like that's an easy, like, no one ever gets everything that's on. I always say the job description is a wish list, right? It's like your birthday yeah, list yeah, and the yeah. thing you give to your parents and you hope that you get the PlayStation five, but you're probably not getting it right. You might get some other things that are on your list, but you're, you might not be, you're not getting all of them most likely. And same thing with a job description. It's a wish list. Sure. In a perfect world with this unicorn magically come up from the, the sky and, you know, fall in this person's lap and, you know, be ready to go. Sure, but doesn't life doesn't work that way. And so if it's just a tool or a handful of things, as long as you have those human skills and the some of those technical skills to back it up and some proven experience that you can talk to, whether it's transferable skills or, uh, or you know, actual physical corporate experience, then you're good, right? I think a lot of people hold on to having, I need to meet all these qualifications and know all of these tools and it keeps them from ever applying. And that's that kind of paralysis analysis you're talking about of being feeling very stuck in that way. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So one of the things you do in regards to professional development, which we were talking a little bit about before, is that you run the Instructional Design Institute. So if, if you haven't, if we haven't talked about all the other amazing things you do already, you also do this. And <laughs> this is professional development for instructional instructional designers. So why did you start this and who is it for? So I started this because I kept on making all this content on the internet. So the, the blog, the podcast, the YouTube channel, all these things kept on coming about. And then I kept on getting the question of like, so Luke, what's next? And I'm like, 
I don't have a thing. I'm like, I do, I don't know. So I started like sending people to different places of like, well, this school has a certificate. You should look into that. And like, oh, I've heard good things about this place. Maybe you should go over here. And then they kept on coming back to me and they're like, yeah, like, it was okay. But like, I want you as the teacher. Like, I don't, I don't want to lose you. And I was like, uh-oh. I'm like, well, I don't have anything. So like, let me figure it out. So I put my head together and was just like, okay, if I just make a bunch of courses and essentially offer coaching to either aspiring instructional designers or instructional designers who just want to get better, you know, they've, they don't have a direct supervisor who has an instructional design knowledge background. Like they have, they have literally no idea. So they're like, they're essentially a team of one and they need help. I was like, oh, if I just do that and offer those services, like, would that work? And then I'm bunch of people applied and I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. So, uh, <laughs> so since then I have now guess been teaching. Does work. <laughs> so I've been teaching instructional design to all of these amazing people. And it's just been so cool to help people to go and find the job or to go and transform their organization with something like they're really stuck on, but, but they need to be able to bounce ideas off of other people. And they're like, well, yeah. well, what do you do? Like, what would you do in this situation if this came about? And I was just like, I got it. Like I would do this. And they go back and do it. And they're like, it worked. It's like, yay. So it's that's- so nice for that short, you, you help provide the shortcut too. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like, yeah, please don't have to go and Google something and then find a direct conflict to that with a different answer than to another answer. And you just got going around and around in a circle. So now instead you can actually just go and work directly with me and I can try to be able to help you and for your individual goals too, because everyone comes from a different background, prior experience and what they want to do. So, you know, I want to be able to actually work with them because I do teach online courses um, as well, but from a different, another institution. And I know just like how that actually all works together. So I kind of like took what I do in all these different types of other jobs beyond my normal job and was like, oh, I'll make a new job. So now I have like five jobs, which is super, uh, but that's <laughs> fine. There's always more coffee. I can figure it out, uh, yeah. at least now, <laughs> but the book didn't exist back then either. So that was a huge thing. So now mm-hmm. it's like the combination of like, okay, now let's do this in real time. Because if you want to read a part of the book and then we can work on something together and then you can take this assessment in the course and then I'll give you feedback. Now it's starting to all like piece together where before I always felt like it was like, yeah, I got like this loose end over here that goes nowhere. And, and this is okay, but I could do better. So now things finally start to marry and all make sense. Yeah, I think, you know, you're such a wonderful example of being curious and saying yes to things of like, wow, here, and it's, I think it's a na- having a natural learner mindset, right? Of here's the, I see a gap. <laughs> how do, how do I fill this? And, you know, doing it. And we talked about this a little before we started recording, but doing it from a place of service, you know, of like, okay, I see this, I see this hole missing here. I, I think I could, I know something that I, that would help fill this and then just doing it. And so many people, I think, see the holes, but they're too afraid to, to take the leap and try it. And I think you're a really wonderful example of what happens when you just say, why not? Let's just, let's put it out there. Oh, people want this. Cool. People don't. Great. You know? And so I think that you're, you set a really great example for people who are able to notice the holes, but maybe are a little nervous to take the plunge. So I congratulate you on that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I made a blog the other day that talked about just like my top three mistakes as far as being a newbie in instructional design. And one of the mistakes that I now I've done a very good job of like never doing it again. Now it's like my motto is that I have believed in the power of just figuring it out. I don't mm-hmm. have the answers. I have no idea how to do this. I'm going to figure it out. And before, when I started off, that terrified me. Where I was just like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Who do I talk to? Is it unknown territory? Like, what if I do something and totally mess everything up? And now it's just like, hey, it's fine. Like, you'll figure it out. And so same, take anything that I have done. It is all from the place of like, I bet I can do this. I just got to not quit. And it's going to become a thing. And that's how every single thing I have done has, I mean, like even just taking like the, the book, for instance, I didn't want to make a physical book. I want to make an ebook because I didn't want to go and figure out about like, how do I print a book? How do I find a distributor? I'm like, I have no idea, but enough people are like, look, I really want a physical book. I'm old school. I love to write in it. And I'm like, Oh, I get it. Like I'm the same way. I'm like, I'll make a physical book. So sure <laughs> enough, I figured it out, went on Amazon, family had a publishing service through Kindle. So I was like, Oh, so if I make a Kindle version, I can make a published version and then I can go and actually figure out how to distribute this to other people. And now that's a thing. But before, if I had my old mindset, I would have been terrified. There would never be a book. There would never be any version of it whatsoever, obviously. So it's just that it's just taking that leap of faith and believing in myself more of like, it's, 
Yeah, other people do it. I'm sure I could find out how to do it too. Yeah. I, I, I love that. You know, one of my coaches always says everything's figure outable, especially like in the learning and development space in general, like we're not heart surgeons. We're not oh, no, rocket no, 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 no. scientists. No. <laughs> like we are not going to ruin everything. Like there's no, there's no way, shape or form that we, we have the, the power to, to, we don't hold that much power. We're not that relaxed. Everyone. You're not that important. I'm sorry. I like to remind myself that sometimes like, doesn't matter. I'm not that important. Like in, in, in a good way, right. Of like, mm. If someone else can do it, why can't I do it? Everything's figure outable. So I really, I really love that mentality. And I think that goes a long way in the instructional design field and learning and development as a whole. I think for job seekers to think about too, that you know, all of this is, is figure outable, that you don't have to meet every single requirement. I think, I think having the attitude of being the person who figures things out is such a higher, like a hireable quality, right? So many people want that and like. I know for me, every time I've hired someone as uh, when I was leading, leading L and D functions, that's what I'm looking for. I want someone who can just figure, figure it out. I don't care what, you know, I, I care what you find out and what you figure out and how you bring that to the table too. So I think you such a, such a really great example of that. And I think more people need to remember that it comes from that, that self-belief and that self-trust. But even if you don't have that, just trust that it'll be figure outable. It is. It is. And it doesn't mean to be need to take like these massive steps, by the way, too. It can be like baby, baby steps of trying to figure it out. So it's like, if you don't have the answer, then can you just go and either like call a colleague or post about it on LinkedIn or Facebook and ask the general L&D community or ID community and say like, hey, I got a question. I guarantee you're going to get some answers. And you can oh, go yeah. and try to like figure it out from there, which is a, a whole, like, I'm going to constantly keep on saying that terminology now, but that is just so true because <laughs> this is, you don't need to do all of these things, which is my biggest fear before of just like, there's so many different types of like, I don't know if this is the right one. And now it's just like, no, just do like the multi-tier approach. And you're like, okay, I can go and talk to my colleague and ping her on Slack. And I can go and ask her on Facebook and I can go and post about it. Like, you know, it's just, it's not that hard. And then of course, there's this thing called YouTube and Google. That, you know, mm -hmm. you search literally anything for anything. There's, there's yeah. something out there. <laughs> You're going to find an answer. And then, and then you can use your best critical thinking skills and logic to be able to vet that and make sure it is a quality <laughs> type of resource and a right answer to follow. But I'm sure there's an answer to anything. And as you said, yeah. no, no one is going to die if you don't use the correct word in a syllabus or a rubric promise exactly you. no one's gonna no one's gonna keel over i, I promise i noticed a, i noticed a typo last night in one of my modules and i was like eh, whatever i'll survive yeah. <laughs> I, it, it happens it, it definitely happens i saw early on there was a uh, uh two typos in the ebook and uh nothing caught it the editor didn't catch it i didn't catch it amazon didn't catch it and someone else was just like Hey, Luke, I read your book. And uh, I was like, oh, yep, that's the thing. I'm like, I'll that's fix it. There. Thank you. I was like, but <laughs> I'm not going to just go and take down the entire book and say like, oh my God, it's over. I'm going to burn all the copies. Like, you know, RIP. It's just like, no, there's still amazing quality stuff in there. It's just like, whoops, that word is a wrong word. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it happens. It's okay. It we we it's, will move on. <laughs> we will survive. And speaking of the future, moving on, when you think about the future of instructional design, and I know we kind of talked about the metaverse a little bit, so we can either go into more of that or if you have a different answer, but what emerging trend are you looking at right now that you think other people in the instructional design field or even in L&D in general, but really should be watching? Yeah, the metaverse would have definitely been my answer. Anything involving with uh, the, the VR, XR world that we're going into with everything for extended reality, like that's just going to be nuts. And I did a presentation on the metaverse the other day. And despite the fact, because some people have a strong hatred towards Facebook, which like, I get it. Like Facebook is like, is the meta and whatever. Like I, I understand that change is weird and Zuckerberg's his own person and, and blah, blah, blah. But let's think about this as far as for like, what is this actually going to look like? And I've gone through and seen a few demos and, and a few things that are just coming down for what this really does actually look like. And it's insane to think that you can wear an Oculus, you can scan in your desk and then use your actual keyboard and real laptop and have that be embedded into the VR headset itself and then work with others in the same space. And as you're using different types of controllers in your hands, it's replicating your mannerisms and you can go and walk to a whiteboard or go to a colleague's desk and ask them a question and have a sense of a physical world in this type of a virtual space, it's crazy. Like it is nuts that we are actually there. Like yeah. uh, Zuckerberg said like three to five years. And I'm like, 
yeah, you're crazy, man. Like this is coming out so much sooner. Yeah. It's going to be buggy. <laughs> it's going to be awful. It's going to cost like We're gonna thousands be of dollars. The oh yeah. It's going to be the worst, but I like know when, it's... Um, when flat screen TVs first came out and they were like oh, $20,000. Sure. So now you can buy one at target for 149 bucks. <laughs> exactly. Cause that's what everyone else says then next too, is that they're like, Oh my gosh, think about the knowledge gap. It's going to get much worse. And I'm like, yes, I hundred percent understand what you mean, but I know just from the past that we have with everything for technology is that like, it's going to get worse and then it's going to get better. Cause that's what always happens. Something always comes out for thousands upon thousands of dollars. And then now all of a sudden you get iPhones for free and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, how'd that yeah, happen? Just, you just know, got mine for free. <laughs> exactly, you know, exactly. So it's like, I know it's going to eventually balance out, but rightfully so we do need to be mindful of how like this is going to certainly change uh, everything as far as demographics of learning of like different parts yeah. of the world and who has access to technology and what met that is definitely one thing. However, if you want to be able to go and do something right now, which is more futuristic that I've been currently <laughs> doing and I have been loving it. I'm not sure. Did you see my post the other day about gather town on LinkedIn? Yes. You said, you said if anyone gets his, no one's getting zoom invites from you anymore. No, only gather town. I was, <laughs> was going to say, so I, I have Bold broken, Luke. <laughs> I've broken up with zoom to my credit. I have not used zoom since that posting. And Gathertown is something that I thoroughly enjoy so much. And it's been such a nice break compared to the Zoom burnout that we've all experienced in the last couple of years. And for those of you who have never used Gathertown before, essentially think about if you were to take like a Legend of Zelda game from Super Nintendo, but embed a video feature inside of it, that's what it looks like. So you get to make a little uh, kind of fun, customizable avatar. You're exploring this different world. But within this virtual space, there are so many different things you can do from a professional level of having a whiteboard, being able to take notes together, like with a Google Docs, sharing your screens and all those things. But you can also go into travel into different rooms within the virtual space, which eventually become kind of like the private breakout rooms that we're accustomed to on Zoom. But you have control of everything. It's not like the moderator has to do every single thing. Mm -hmm. People are able to go and walk out of their virtual chair and go walk to another room and go talk to a buddy and work on a problem or do whatever. And I went to a conference and that's what they used back in like 2019. They used this and I was just like, okay, like, I guess we're going to use this. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but sure enough, my little character is walking around trying to find the <laughs> keynote speaker and go and like attend the right place. It's like, oh my God, oh my gosh, like in real is... life at real conferences, like, like, like in real life, which, which ballroom are we going in? <laughs> exactly. So it really did feel like a conference where I'm trying to find people. I'm bumping into random people here and there. I was just like, oh my gosh, this feels real. But on top of that, the thing that really, really impressed me is that everything is done based upon proximity. So as I get closer to your character, you start to hear my voice more and more. And then you're going to see that my little embedded video starts to fade in from black. And then sure enough, if I'm saying like, hey, I'm done, Sarah, I got to go. And I start walking away. You're going to see my little window fade to black again. And then you stop hearing my voice. And that was like, okay, this is, this is something. And it's out there right now, which you can search for gather town. It's free which is also like, Hey, pretty cool. I will gladly take a free, super cool product. And, uh, and I've used that. So I'm, I, I can't love complain. That. Yeah. I'll put, so a, I'll put a link to that in the show notes too, so people can explore it. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely should. It's just fun. It's free up to like 25 people. I think it is. And it's like two bucks a person. I don't know how to, that, that I've only used a free version. I haven't had to use a 25 person thing yet, but that has just been so neat. And I've and to, to my, uh, to my word, everything I've done so far with my students or with other people or whatever it is, everything has been in gather town so far. And it's just been a ton of fun. Is this really cool? That's amazing. So my last question that I have for you that I ask every single person that comes on the show is what is one thing that you are personally learning right now? I am learning still how to get better with everything for video editing. So if anyone has seen my YouTube videos from back at the end of the day, I mean, now I look at the new videos, you're going to see some major improvements because I do every, so like I'm involved with everything. Obviously it's my own video. I don't have an editor. So I had to teach myself about how to use Premiere and how to use After Effects. And that has been really cool. So I was always watching these other different people on YouTube and I was just like, how do they do that? I'm like, how do you make the, the logo come in flying and then it moves and then when you say subscribe, it makes the little like plus button subscribe <laughs> and a thumbs up thing. It's like, how do you do that animation? A little pop sound. Yeah. And everyone was just like, oh, you use this and this. And I was like, no, it's not like, it's not that. Like that's not good enough. Like there, there has to be a more professional software. And luckily for me, I have always used Adobe. It's, it's part of the Adobe's creative suite. Mm-hmm. 
And sure enough, I saw that and I was like, oh, here we go. I'm like time to do trial and error and figure out just like, how can I break this and make it look somewhat professional? And then now I have like exactly what it is that I do of incorporating realism, the animations, the cutscenes, and all the blah, blah, blahs is like, it's insane. But it took me a good solid like two months or so just to do like anything, like anything yeah. is somewhat even uh, impressive in the slightest bit, but that's what I'm still working on. And now they're, they're getting much better still, still to this day. Now it's just more of like, I need more time in the day to do things because mm-hmm. videos take a long time to do for everything. The, the, the idea, then actually recording it, then the editing, and then you get to publish it and all the blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's a good yeah. time. But yeah, so that's you, what I'm working fi- on. You, figure, you figured it out. I have also figured that out too. So there's nothing <laughs> I can't figure out. <laughs> nothing you can't figure out. I love that. So I know that a lot of people listening are probably already familiar with you, but just in case they aren't, where can people find you, connect with you, learn how to work with you, buy your book, all the things? Absolutely. So the easiest place is probably just to go Google and to search my name. I will pop up everywhere. If you see somebody who is the actor of Luke Hobson, by the way, if it's not me, I constantly fight him on SEO battle of who gets number one. Mm. So it's just, yeah, I know he, he's dominating in Netflix right now. And every time he releases a new movie and I'm like, no, I'm like, don't do that, man. Cause like now <laughs> I, I lose my spot on Google. <laughs> so if you Google Dr. Luke Hobson, and that's kind of the, uh, the origination of why I started using my title was because like you could find me and not have to go and see this other person. So if you Google me there and just drlukehopson.com, I'm everywhere. And for social media, I'm on everything. LinkedIn is definitely where I'm, I'm by far the most active though. So if you want to interact with me, message me and say, hi, hello, definitely LinkedIn. That's the spot to go and find me. Awesome. I'll put all those links in the show notes and thank you so much for stopping by today. This was so informative. I learned so much from just from this episode together. And I learned so much from you just, you know, in engaging in your content. So thank you for all you do for the instructional design community, the learning and development community, and for spending some time with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for the invite. So happy. And, uh, we came on and we got to do this. So thank you once again. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If it resonated with you in any way, please let me know by subscribing, liking, and leaving a review. I'd love to hear from you on how you're using these tools as well as what you want to hear more of. So connect with me on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, send me a DM, or email me at hello at theovernighttrainer.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And until next week, stay learning.